You're listening to the Lucas Askew Experience. Now, here's your host, the one and only, Lucas Askew. Hello world! Welcome to the Lucas Askew Experience. It's hard to believe that just about one year ago, the journey of the LAE began. What started as a fun way to pass the time on my commute to and from work turned into this platform where we've talked about everything from U.S. politics to mental health to all 40 college football bowl games. It's been a fun ride, and I wanted to take this episode to look back at the past year and look forward to what is ahead. I first want to say a major thank you to you listening today. You're part of the LAE faithful, and without you, I wouldn't be here today. And without you, the beloved LAE sponsors wouldn't be opening up their wallets and clamoring to be a part of the show. And with that, I'll be right back after a word from one of those sponsors. Today's episode is brought to you by OKCupid, Millennial for Love. Now we've all known someone who has done online dating, or perhaps we have done it ourselves. There used to be a negative stigma attached to this type of service. But ladies and gentlemen, that glass ceiling has been shattered. There are more choices than ever before, and quality men and women are out there, and they're fed right to your fingertips. But with all this clutter in the market, it can be intimidating and downright frustrating. With the easy customer interface, the extensive algorithmic structure, and the matches provided, OkCupid is your perfect choice. It is free to sign up and allows you the control to see who you want to see and when. Online dating, it's not for everyone. But if you were looking for that spark, and at the very least, someone to share a cup of coffee, coffee with, then I encourage you to join and find your match at OKCupid.com. Welcome back to Lucas Askew Experience. We've been doing this thing for a year and a lot has happened during this time. We kicked things off right before a presidential election, which in hindsight may not have been the best thing, as by that time people were sick of listening to political commentary, even though I think we did a great job. However, with my first guest ever on the show, none other than Kate Nasraddy. Nasraddy? Again, crushing the pronunciation. Lost in the political talk was our conversation about comedians and where the inspiration for humor comes from. I felt it was buried during that episode, so I wanted to take this time to remind folks and bring it back to life. So here's a clip from that part of our conversation. Speaking about uplifting, um, comedy. You, you talk about Kate Can't Even. Um, <laughs> Kate Can't Even, the name of my future podcast. There you yeah. go. Um, so we, we did a comedy show together. We did. Um, it was raucous. Moderately successful, Moderately one might successful. say. Um, Although we kind of cheated by having our friends there. I, I don't think that's cheating. Really? Uh, I think cheating is, uh, well, I was going to say like pumping in fake laughs, but maybe the friends gave fake laughs, but I believe I, 
I believe there was genuine humor uh, that was created. That I night. paid them enough. They should have at least sounded like genuine laughter. Uh, the shower joke that you <laughs> shared, I think, was genuine laughter. Um, and shock. Yes. Sorry, this is a family uh, podcast, is it? so we, is will, this PG? we will not be okay. uh, sharing Fair enough. No, no, no. Uh, I just on, I want to respect the rules. Experience. But, um, so, what... Uh, <laughs> I don't want to say what what's next, but what did you, what did you take from that experience of mm. getting up on stage? So much. Um, it's really interesting because comedy and kind of doing improv and all that stuff started for me as an experiment in failure. I think I was really looking for an area in my life that I wanted to fail at and make failure okay. Like, see, like this is failure, and I'm still alive and I'm still able to continue. And then I started doing it. And I liked it and I wanted to be good at it, which was almost the exact opposite of why I wanted to get into this in the first place. So it's kind of, to be honest, when you're up there and you're on stage, I mean, you can relate to this is like, you kind of feed off that audience. Mm -hmm. Like it's a little, when you get those laughs, it's kind of addicting. Like it's very hard to think of. I've, never been on illegal substance but like it feels like uh, this boost of energy and um i think what it really really helps with is just um all over confidence because you're kind of being like okay here i am here i am on stage by myself i'm in a very vulnerable place and like if you win over that crowd i think that's a huge skill that not a lot of people have. Um, and I think it actually, the more and more I've talked to people after we did that stand-up show, they were like, oh, that was so brave. And at the moment, I don't even think I was thinking to be scared or that this is a really brave act. It was only afterwards people were like, yeah, I would never do that. Um, but I think you almost have to be, there's absolutely a personality and a type of person who is good at comedy and wants to do comedy. Um, and what I've learned since is, interestingly enough, like those are the type of people who, um, I don't want to say are dark, but have like darker places within them. Um, and are able to, they very much in their lives use comedy as a device. Um, so you're seeing the best comedians could be the ones with I don't want to say a darker past, but yeah. use comedy as that lever to kind of take them out of their yeah. current state. I mean, you look at like the best comedians and they have depression and substance abuse issues and uh, fractured marriages and they come from tough places. And Do you think that was started though with comedy or by getting into this, it's like any other job or say for example like when you're on a baseball team you're more apt to use smokeless tobacco uh, because it's kind of part of the culture do you think that by getting into comedy late nights kind of you're always at a bar like it's really by yourself and you're using the audience laughter as kind of your drug that that's what spurs people no. to get in that state no you think i think they're already there i think having a tough life is more a catalyst driving you into comedy. 
because I think you're trying to make things better for yourself and you're trying to make things better for the people around you. And especially, I mean, the objective is com- of comedy is laughter, right? You want people to laugh. And that's sort of maybe one of the only reassurances that you've received in your life that you're doing well mm-hmm. and that things are okay. And you've sort of have some affirmation that you might have otherwise not have. Mm-hmm. So I think in a lot of ways it fills gaps in people's lives. Humor is something that was a core tenet of this podcast from the start, and that's what I wanted it to be. However, early on it was clear that making prognostications was also going to be a key element to this pod. And like many prognostications, you have some ones that make you look like a genius, and others seem a little far-fetched. So let's take a look at some of those picks that didn't quite turn out. I'm telling you, the directional schools will... You're going to be strong this... Uh, okay, okay. That's a foreshadow into a future pick. So my pick is based on... I actually was offered a job at Middle Tennessee State. Turned it down. This wow. is uh, during my college uh, college athletic days. Okay. Turned it down, not because it wasn't a great opportunity, because it wasn't the right fit. But I believe <laughs> the fit today will be Middle Tennessee taking down the Rainbow Warriors in the Hawaii Bowl. It's tough to pick against Mississippi State, but you know what? Miami of Ohio, they've won six in a row, make it seven. They're going to shock the world. Yeah. Dan Mullen will be in tears at the end of this. Most appetizing to you. I think for me, it's Florida, East Tennessee State. Florida struggling, kind of back their way into the tournament here. A four seed, some people think it's a little bit too high. Missing uh, their big man. Yeah. Yes. East Tennessee State is is rolling into this tournament I think the, the 413 matchup has been kind uh, the, over the past couple years. And I actually like East Tennessee State to shock the world, or at least <laughs> shock the folks in Orlando and send the Gators pack in early this, this college tournament. I like that too. You like Nevada at the 12-5. I, again, I love the 13-4 matchup here. The Vermont Catamounts. <laughs> TJ Sorrentine, Taylor Coppenrath. The, the boys from, from out east. <laughs> Coach John Becker has his group rolling. They rolled through the American East. They haven't lost in this calendar year, and wow. I don't think they're going to start with the Purdue Boilermakers. I'm sorry, Big Ten. You did win the regular season. You've got Caleb Swanigan, the beast, the Dikembe Mutombo part two. But I believe in Vermont, TJ Sorrentine, it will actually be this year. Trey Bell Haynes, the American East Player of the Year, hitting from the parking lot and wow. winning against Purdue. Love it. Love, love the pick. Do, do you think... Dunk City, Florida Gulf Coast, can strike up the magic from a couple years ago and shock Leonard Hamilton's led team here. Poorly coached team. Exactly. Uh, you know, they are they're, they're, Florida. They're right? playing they're in Florida. Yeah. Florida. So, again, I, I feel the, the energy of the Gulf Coast will bring the wave. Going down? Going Florida down. Gulf Coast, Florida State. and Florida State. This is going to be a, a, a rough, rough time wow. for the Sunshine State. The LAE became an opportunity for one particular individual to build their public presence and notoriety. No, I'm not talking about myself. I'm talking about the leader and appearances on the LAE. That person would be my brother, Christopher Askew. He was a fan favorite since his debut on episode 3. Maybe it was the thicker than whole milk Canadian accent or his strong position on wedding speeches, wedding entrance protocol, actually basically everything about a wedding, he took a strong position on, 
Whatever it was, the Elder Askew brother has been a frequent contributor. And as I was going through the footage, I noticed a lost segment which didn't make the airwaves. I thought it'd be a good time to debut this lost segment and hear the Canadian crooner once again. Welcome back to the Lucas Askew Experience. Back with Christopher Askew talking Canadian sports. And I don't know why we're not just talking about hockey. The, the national sport, yes, it's a part of Canada. And even living in the States, I will kind of have some affinity to it. But up in Canada, I feel you check any sports station, local, national, they're talking hockey, whether it be from a junior level to a semi-pro to a pro level. Yes, Canada, this is the national sport. Why is there so much coverage on hockey? That's a that's a deep question there, Luke. Why is there so much well, coverage? We always start with the big big heavy hitters here in Luke's Ask experience. Why do you why do you feel that's the case? For some reason that neither you and I really know because we didn't grow up in a hockey family. Our parents don't really watch hockey. They didn't put us in hockey. But there is something here where it's just in the blood. You have parents that put their kids in hockey when they're four years old and they go to the practice six days a week, wake up at four in the morning to go to these practices and they are just obsessed and just go crazy over anything hockey here. And therefore, as a result, the coverage just becomes very skewed uh, towards hockey. And if even if it's like the NBA championships or the World Series, it's still you'll lead with the, a regular hockey game. And they'll just mention the World Series kind of as an offhanded comment. And you and I are looking at each other like, what? Like, it deserves much more than it should. Mm-hmm. Do you think it's because, like you're saying, parents are putting their kids into hockey? There's a, out of all the national leagues, obviously hockey is very high in terms of Canadians that are actually playing in the league. Granted, we also do have six NHL teams compared to just one NBA, the Raptors in Toronto, one MLB, the Blue, Blue Jays, Jays in, in Toronto. Yes, I, I understand kind of the greater propensity, but it, it does seem a, a little odd that it is so heavily influenced. Even at from a local level, they would rather touch on the junior team than an international sport. One of the, the things I think that can drive people is it is the one sport where you have a realistic shot as a Canadian to become a professional hockey player and to make millions of dollars. It's not a stretch that I think everybody that grows up in Canada knows a couple people that have made it to the NHL it, or knows somebody who knows somebody. Mm-hmm. But uh, versus the other sports, knowing a Major League Baseball player, knowing an NBA basketball player... That's extremely rare. So it is the one sport where you can justify if you work hard enough and if your parents are committed enough that you can become a Sidney Crosby. And it is the one where, again, like you said, there are enough professional teams there that you can easily go to a NHL game uh, regardless of kind of where you live in the country uh, versus the other sports. It's harder to kind of go to see a Major League Baseball game or an NBA basketball game. Mm -hmm. And I think... The last thing is, is kind of our weather. We are a winter country. We take pride in our winter sports. And hockey is just, a, a, again, uh, a sport in which we have a lot of pride as Canadians. We really support the Canadian 
uh, team uh, in Olympic hockey or in the annual world championships, we really follow that and take great pride into getting uh, gold medals in, in, in those events. Mm -hmm. Great, great summary there. Um, I think the, the one, one of the reasons why I, I left to pursue ventures in the United States because I actually like seeing more than just hockey on the television. Obviously, I'm a big college guy, college football, college basketball, but just the, the breadth of sports. Um, and there may be some people that do say that NFL skews very heavily on kind of American televisions, whether it be kind of the, the long three, four-hour pregames on Sundays. But I feel that still is one day and throughout the week that there's more sports that are being touched on. And I think one of the things coming back home that I still don't understand is how TSN, the sports network, or what we should call the hockey network, has five channels, and yet they sometimes will have five of the exact same hockey game on this, all five channels at the same time. It, it baffles my mind. Do you, do, do you feel that way or kind of have any insight as to why this would be the case? Well, I don't want to get a little technical on you, but I mean, the way TSN, which is kind of our ESPN is kind of set up, they are trying to set up for different regional, uh, different regional broadcasts. But sometimes, yes, if there's a Toronto Maple Leafs, which is a very national, uh, they're kind of like the New York Yankees of the NHL, again with the analogies, but at, at Toronto Maple Leafs have fans all across the country. They are going to stream that game on all the all the networks, and over any, kind of any you know college football game or you know call a college basketball game. And that's just the because it must be they must decide that it makes better money doing it that way. But I agree. As somebody who doesn't really follow hockey, I often get frustrated, and I often have to go and listen to uh, ESPN. Like I listen to ESPN podcasts. Or try to get the American feeds uh, through other means. And it, yeah, I, I know it's not you can't say apples to apples because like if there's a event on ESPN, ESPN two, ESPN three, it will never be the same event that ESPN. Like they will, they're wanting different pieces of content and are skewing it towards the demographic. But it is frustrating when you're you're wanting to see something that. That could be on there, but it's pushed off for a regular season hockey game on all five networks. And that's all. There's also a money thing behind it. Obviously, TSN does not have the resources as e, the same as ESPN, so it is going to cost them money to obtain the rights for that college but, football. But ESPN game. has actually bought some of TSN. Like they are a shareholder in in TSN, which you know you can tell the passion in my voice here when a college football game of mine gets kicked off for a hockey game and I have to stream it illegally on on the internet just to just to catch a game. See, I would be interested if TSN doesn't have to pay anything to uh, in order to get that college football game because then they have no excuse. If they're able to get that college game uh, for free from ESPN and broadcast it, then they shouldn't be having four of their stations broadcast some regular season hockey game versus these exciting college bowl games and they're so much more exciting from listening to your uh, previous podcast on the on the bowl games. I learned a lot. Yes, that was sixty-seven minutes of just pure 
knowledge and entertainment. Thanks to my guest, James Taylor, presented by Flow Water. Uh, it was it was one of the, one of the better better podcasts. But um, and enough hockey talk. I, I do want to talk maybe some more positive light of the the Canadian American dynamic in sports and talk on the Raptors and the Blue Jays. You you've been to a few more of these Blue Jays and Raptors games. They really are. Granted, the teams now are, are doing really well. They are the national team um, of this country. That's what a national team would be. But kind of tell me your perspective and feeling of just even being in Ontario, having kind of the Blue Jays or a Raptor fever. Well, the, the Blue Jays have definitely the last couple of years really kind of taken over the country. And the whole country is now kind of following them the, the last couple of years because for so long that they, they had kind of struggled since they won those world two World Series, you know, almost two like over Nin- two decades. Ninety two, ninety three, Joe Carter, the walk off. We were we were sitting in that living room when it was still carpet, not hardwood floor. Saw uh, off of Mitch, Mitch Williams, ninety three. I think we should reiterate we're taping this in, in our in our old uh, our old house. Okay. Yeah. It's pro- probably a good good thing to call it there. But at at that point when the Jays won the the World Series back then, it brought a whole bunch of people in Canada into baseball. I know I love baseball. And then as the Jays kind of stumbled and the Montreal Expos left, uh, it kind of left a real void in Canada in baseball. And now with the Jays kind of re, kind of having this resurgence with Jose Batista and Edwin and, you know, I'll, it's a touchy subject, even, I know. Even though probably both of them will not be there next year, but yeah. But those last couple of years drove a lot of people back into, uh, back into the game. The Jays had... I think even the highest attendance uh, this year, and I went to I went to several J games, and all my friends, you know, we don't live in Toronto, but we're all talking about the Jays. Would well, have you watched the game? And and everybody's kind of trying to go down to Toronto a couple times a year to check out some Toronto J games. And even if you're out west in Vancouver, you're gonna go down uh, when they they play the Seattle Mariners. If you watch a Seattle Mariners game, half half the half the crowd could be Toronto Blue Jays mm-hmm. fans that have just made the drive down there. And they're really kind of, again, that national team that we, we no matter, even though they're, they're called the Toronto Blue Jays, they really are as the only, you know, Major League Baseball team in Canada, really Canada's, you know, Canada's team. And it is kind of really special to, to watch. And there's a lot of Canadian pride behind them. Mm-hmm. I, I know that there's been recent talk the past, with the Blue Jays' success the past couple of years, and they've been playing a couple of games in Montreal, sellout crowd, and the the dump that is the exhibition stadium. There's been talk of whether or not the the Expo's resurgence can happen. Do you feel that with a the Canadian dollar, b the kind of the ex- national passion behind baseball with the Blue Jays right now, do you feel Montreal and Canada can sustain that second team, or is it more of you know what we're riding a high right now? Let's uh, put a couple games in Montreal, but maybe stick to Toronto and, and really kind of put our eggs in that basket. I think we can only have one team. And uh, I think part of the reason touches on what we were talking about earlier is our obsession with hockey here. Uh, Canada can support lots of hockey teams, and it doesn't matter whether that hockey team wins or loses, people still go to the games. But when it comes to other sports, they're really only going to be passionate about a winner. And if Montreal tries to have a baseball team and that baseball team isn't isn't doing well, they're not going to be supporting it. And people aren't going to be coming 
uh, and going to, to those games and following them as much. They're, they're still going to have some. Some people are going to come. Mm-hmm. But it's not going to be the same as if they have a winner. We're, and you also touched on the point of the Canadian dollar. Our dollar right now sits about 75, 76 cents per uh, U- US dollar. Per US dollar. And so you got to remember, the team is taking money in with Canadian dollars and then paying their players in American dollars. So it's very expensive for them to uh, kind of sustain this. And there's no, you know, it's not thought that the Canadian dollar is going to go up uh, back to par as it was maybe four years ago. And so that's a real big hit on, on any kind of professional team in Canada. So I think we're, we're just happy with the one and they should kind of ride this ride this out. And I don't, I don't think there's very serious talk about kind of opening up that second team. Same thing with the, the Raptors basketball. I know we, we had the Grizzlies. I think this is more of an open and shut case. Like, even though I, I would argue that basketball in Canada from a grassroots level is stronger than, than baseball is. There's, there's more people playing basketball. There's more people in college basketball, more people in the NBA from Canada. You look at Andrew Wiggins. You look at... Um, yeah. I, 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 don't know, I don't know who I'm looking at. Because it's radio. Yeah. No, well, it's a figurative looking at. Like we don't need to actually look at a script here, because that's that's what we do. It's it's banter, all off script here. But there's a, a large portion of uh, a larger portion of Canadians, the Steve Nash effect, that they really uh, trailblaze that. Do you feel the Vancouver Grizzlies or, or something else can be uh, established, or again, Raptors stick to stick to Toronto? Yeah, I mean, I do think it's probably only going to be one team again. But I am surprised that the, that the Vancouver team didn't really work out. Because Vancouver is a city with uh, good, good population size, good cities ar- around it that can draw uh, people in. Ha- a city that has a lot of disposable income. There's a lot of people with good, good salaries. And like you said, basketball is popular, especially out in BC. Uh, because of the weather, it's not as cold out there, and more people are able to uh, be outside and play basketball. Mm-hmm. And I was surprised that Vancouver didn't do as well as they did. And so, just knowing that they, you know, they tried back then and failed, I don't think basketball's gotten any more popular since then. So I really don't see. And again, the dollar's kind of only gone down. So there's nothing really that supports, you know, them uh, having the ability to really support a NBA basketball team. Maybe there's something in the Pacific Northwest water because Grizzlies left over a couple of years. The Seattle Supersonics, after they drafted Kevin Durant, folded and moved to Oklahoma City. Kind of, There's that void in the Pacific Northwest. Yes, they're more into nature and being outdoors, but I would think one of those cities should be able to satisfy the craving for NBA basketball. Yes, and do you think one of them then could get cross-border fans? I forgot about yeah, that Seattle's no longer there. So do you think if Vancouver had a team that they could get Seattle people up there or I, vice versa? I, I think it's probably more likely the Seattle kind of connection that Vancouver can piggyback off of. I'm not saying Canada. I think Canada just does a better job of piggybacking off of things, kind of let the, especially the Canadian dollar difference, which is a big deal that from a, costing standpoint even though NBA salaries are through the roof right now it really it would make more sense bring back the Seattle Supersonics or whatnot but then kind of tap into Vancouver in that that high passion area because like you said 
basketball is a growing sport nationwide in Canada, and BC is one of our top ex- exports. Yes, but it is, so it is kind of interesting that even though the Jays and Raptors are doing very well as far as attendance and buzz nas- nationally, that I still don't think that there's really any serious talk and uh, ability to really get a second team in Canada. Even though, um, yeah, if you look at the NHL, again, we have the six NHL teams and they're really pushing to get a seventh or eighth team in Canada. Mm-hmm. And that's why we live in... Uh a place that has five hockey channels or five channels and uh, four of them are, are hockey. We answered our own question here. Yeah. No, I mean, I think you made a good decision. Sometimes I, I do get frustrated turning on the uh, TSN and having to, you know, look at the hockey game and have to turn it off and have to try to find, find the basketball game that I'm looking for online. It's definitely frustrating. Thank you. I think you made a good decision. Well, thank you, Chris, for coming, coming back on. What we did last time, uh, I don't know if you remember from the vault, it was a life lesson that you gave people. Since your life, you've had some changes in your life the past couple months, would your life lesson change at all going into, uh, as we're in 2017 now? Oh, I already, you know, just really hitting me up with these hard ones. I mean, last time I I answered it, I think I was talking about uh, your career, right? And just being... You know, take that chance if you can. Uh, well, I think with all the changes I've kind of had in my personal life, I think uh, I think the life lesson could be maybe don't think about your career all the time <laughs> and just kind of enjoy in, in, enjoy your your personal life. Don't uh, don't let that your career kind of goals overtake and kind of cloud um, cloud your thoughts or cloud your enjoyment out of your out of your personal life because. I, I know that every year at the end of the year when I kind of reflect on the year and what it's been, I don't often think about the memories of, oh, that was a great report that I issued or that was a really good time that I was you know working with my colleague on that project. I think about that trip uh, last year that I took to San Francisco to visit you and, and you know go to Napa Valley and bike across the Golden Gate Bridge. So it's those things that I remember and enjoy and it's not necessarily the... Uh, the things at work that I can look back on and be like, oh, that was that was a good time. I still get enjoyment out of, of working. And I still take pride in my work. But I, I do know notice that the importance of having a good work-life balance. So kids out there, don't uh, don't feel conflicted with the, the conflicting piece of advice that you've heard from, from Christopher about don't, don't be afraid to follow your passion and then don't put it as your number one thing in your life. Kind of finding that work-life balance, I agree. It, it's not necessarily always a balance, and other people are going to have different different opinions there. But uh, glad you've kind of helped find a greater equilibrium in, in your life now. Thank you. So thanks for being on the show. Thank you. I'll, I'll think about the, uh, the next uh, word of advice in case I get invited for a third time. So I'm prepared. <laughs> <laughs> See, that, that we, we like to keep our guests on our toes, you know? I think... The Luke's Ask Experience, it's about experiences as we've talked about, but it's also about just this real life dialogue. And I don't I don't wanna just set you up with all the questions that you know, because life isn't like that. Can I just say you're not saying up with any of the questions really on the podcast? The whole thing was kind of uh just kind of you know, just went with it. But I'm sure it was a great experience for you. It was ex- an experience. Thank you again, Christopher Askew. Thank you for having me.
As I was building the idea for the LAE podcast and listening to the great hosts of past generations, not just on podcasts, but you have Johnny Carson, the great late night talk show format, I noticed a pattern. There was a familiarity that they built and a comfort when you first tuned in. You would immediately recognize the voice or recognize a statement that they said. And that's what I wanted to do with my opener and closer. But, as you will see, it took me a few times to get that perfect combination. Hello there. Hi. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the main events. Hello. Bonjour, mes amis. Hello, people. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Hello, Mother Earth. Hello, world. Hello, world. Hello, world. Welcome to the Lucas Askew Experience. Hello, world. Welcome to the Lucas Askew Experience. Hello, world. Welcome to the Lucas Askew Experience. We are glad you are here. Take care. Talk soon. And catch you on the flip side. Take care, talk soon, and remember to eat your Wheaties. Take care, talk soon, and take care one more time. Take care, talk soon, and good morning, good afternoon, or good night. Take care, talk soon, and God bless. But until that time, I bid you adieu. So take care, talk soon, and God bless. Take care, talk soon, and God bless. But until next time, take care, talk soon, and God bless. When I look back at all the segments, there were definitely some that stick out in my mind. From the, tur- the, from the turkeys of the year, remember Ryan Lochte? Yes, we were talking about Ryan Lochte. To the New Year's resolution segment, FYI, I have just about two months to finish up three bucks to make my declaration, my New Year's resolution of six books completed by the end of the year. I like my chances still. To move into my entire talk with the one and only Kevin Peters, which is still amazed how he survived his Tahoe Bear experience. All these segments brought positive memories. However, the one that will always make me chuckle is the introductions during episode 16, the pre-wedding episode. The Munchler Bachelor crew was in full effect, and they were right there in my hotel room just hours before the big moment. So... Here it is one more time, the introductions from all those crazy kids that were part of the Montreal Bachelor crew experience. Around the room, state your name, why you're here. Why we're here? Rob. California Rob, roommates Lucas, just had a beer. Michael Dodd um, became best buds with Lucas in Arkansas when he was there for, for nine months, which a lot of folks don't know, but uh, he was one of the biggest Razorback fans there were was in, in the state of Arkansas. The rubber bee. The rubber bee, baby. <laughs> Spencer Blaine Hemphill from San Francisco, California. I was brought here at gunpoint. I actually don't like Lucas. <laughs> Kelsey James Hamilton Philpott. Oh. oh. Two-time roommate of Lucas Askew, the groom this evening. Uh, Matt McKellar. Here uh, to support my best friend, California Rob. <laughs> uh, Trevor James grew up with Lucas and Regina. He was part of my first threesome. That's golfing. Golfing. That's tough on Matt Allen, former uh, elementary school compadre. That's right. Ready Rams. 
Uh, Tim Ryan, affectionately known as Timmy Ho Ho, uh, <laughs> and I don't know why I'm here. Dude, that makes two of us. <laughs> Chris Askew, brother of Lucas, and grew up with him. Michael J. Miller, I uh, went to elementary school with Lucas. He was in kindergarten and he was reading to us, so <laughs> tell me everything I know. <laughs> wow, got a great group of friends here for sure. Gets me, gets me every time. What a, what a trip down memory lane. In the past year, it's hard to believe the LAE has been through these elements during these past 12 months. I can't thank you enough, the LAE faithful, for your continued presence and encouragement. These are the highlights of my week, when I can talk to you, bring on guests, and share our experiences. Public service announcement, this will be the last pod of the 2017 calendar year. The rest of the year, I'll be taking a brief hiatus from being behind the microphone as I focus on peak season with my day job. QuickBooks payroll is not going to sell itself, folks. I'm extremely excited about what is in store for 2018, though. The new year will bring a new LAE, a fresh set of guests, and fresh content pieces. With a couple of your favorites, of course. So with that in mind, since I won't be talking to you until 2018, let me be the first to wish you Happy Hanukkah, Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, Kwanzaa, whatever you celebrate, well wishes to you. So until that time, the next time we speak, this is Lucas Askew, saying take care, talk soon, and God bless.